We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast is sponsored by Liquid Death. Are you thirsty? Parched? Do you like dark and eerie sinister names for your beverages? Then you'll love Liquid Death. Go to liquiddeath.com. Use the promo code BIGBLUE. Blue wire. Welcome back. It's the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joining as always my co-host Nick Pilato, coming to you fresh off listening to and breaking down Joe Shane's end-of-the-year presser, Giants general manager Joe Shane. Brian Dable is there too, but he didn't say anything of note, so I'm just calling this the Joe Shane presser. Brian Dable really doesn't give anything away to, to the media or anyone. I, I respect it. Look, there's no value to him to give away any information that he thinks he can maybe use to his advantage, but it makes for a boring you know, show when he's on and when they're asking him questions. Joe Shane a little bit more. I thought he offered a little bit more. I think throughout he's offered a little more. Just a quick heads up. Things are going to go a little different for Big Blue Banter this week. At some point, you're going to hear a podcast, just a review on some film notes that we had from watching Giants-Eagles. We will not be doing uh, Giants-Eagles offense or defense film on YouTube uh, for a variety of reasons, but we're going to instead focus on moving forward. We're going to have podcasts this week that break down how the Giants got here, how they turned it around, what they can do moving forward, things of that nature. It's all forward-looking at this point in our mind for 2023, and that's something Joe Shane said as well. They asked him about, like, when do you turn the page on the 22 season? He's like, that, we've done it already. Like, we've literally <laughs> already turned the page on the 22. It's Monday. What is it, Monday? Two days after they, you know, were eliminated, and they've already turned the page, and I think that's a good way of going about things. There's not too much to glean on or to gain. You should really always be looking forward and moving forward. So with that note, Nick, I wanted to get your overall takeaway from listening to Joe Shane's press or anything that got kind of jumped out to you from the start. I guess we'll just start with he wants Daniel Jones back. It seemed pretty apparent that the New York Giants are intent on bringing Daniel Jones back. I think obviously the economics, that's something that they, as Joe Shane said several times throughout the presser, they're going to discuss later this week. But this Giants staff, and I, I appreciate it. It's always later in the week when the media can't ask them the questions. But Joe Shane, I think you're right. He tips his hand a little bit more. Than Brian Dable does. I believe that they're going to do everything in their power. They're not going to overspend, but they want Daniel Jones to be the quarterback. But I also found it interesting when he was asked about Saquon Barkley a couple minutes later, he said the same thing in the sense, we'd like to have Saquon Barkley back. But I, I just didn't feel like he was as enthusiastic about it. And I wanted to get your opinion on that. Yeah, I definitely thought it was different listening to him speak about the impending free agency of Saquon Barkley and Daniel Jones. On the Barkley front, he did mention at times that he was, you know, 
going to consider positional value. He didn't say, he said, I'm not going to get into this positional value stuff, but then he mentioned I'm trying to find it now. Let me find my Joe Shane notes. There was something he said that made me believe that like, you know, as we build the roster forward, we understand the cap. We understand, you know, what the piece of the pie we have to work with. And I'll, I'll try to pull it up. But at the same time, on the flip side of that was Daniel Jones, who he basically, you know, all but confirmed will be back. I mean, he didn't want to give away too much because I'm sure he doesn't want to lose too much leverage in those negotiations. And those are going to be a lot tougher than the negotiation with Barkley. And we'll get to why in a second, speaking on a Frau Facciano report on the Barkley contract negotiations. But on the Daniel Jones ones, all we know now is Shane's keep it really, you know, really close to the vest. Daniel Jones is keep it really close to the vest. That shows me these negotiations are going to be heavy. They're going to be big i mean Joe, J- daniel jones they asked him yesterday like what do you make of like quarterback contracts around the nfl and how much quarterbacks make and he kind of smiled and was like yeah i, I know how much they make and i kind of want that <laughs> he didn't say i want that too but it, it got the feel and the, those are going to be tough negotiations because his agent is going to push for a deal that reflects what he can become and the giants might be trying to push for a deal that reflects what he is right now and that makes things a lot more difficult it's different on the barkley front because i think Every agent who's negotiating for a running back right now understands that NFL GMs around the NFL, with the exception of Dave Gettleman, who's no longer a GM, understand running back longevity, understand the positional value aspect of it, and understand, as I mean, they asked Joe Shane, they're like, what about all the literally bad contracts that have been, you know, re-signed to these running backs at age, age of 26, 25, 27 or older? And he's like, well, not every single one was bad. That's not really a, a glowing, you know, endorsement for re-signing and spending on that position. He didn't say like, no, you know, those are just uh, specific examples where injuries happen, bad luck. He basically said not every single one instead of the majority are good. It, he recognized that the majority of these are bad and have not worked out well. There have been a few exceptions, I guess, is what he's referring to. Christian McCaffrey is a good example, though. Saquon Barkley's nothing like Christian McCaffrey. Christian McCaffrey is a positionless player that makes it really hard to scheme against because you can line him up in the slot and you have to allocate different resources defending him. Saquon Barkley's not a great route runner. This is not his forte of his game, so it's a different kind of uh, running back in general. But I did think more so on the Daniel Jones front, Nick, that I wanted to get your take on before we move back to the Barkley is. I thought it was interesting to hear they asked both Dable and Shane, like, when were you sold on Daniel Jones? And Shane was like, there really wasn't an aha moment with Jones. But both of them said the same thing. Thing he did everything we asked of him, and I thought that was really interesting because you know a coach comes in like Dable and Shane comes in as well, and they asked him to do a lot of different things. They asked him one, come off that first read faster and take the B gap as a runner, and then they also asked him to do different things in the bootleg game that he hadn't really done with Jason Garrett with the boot action stuff. They asked him to do more things as a as a thrower on the run, moving to his right, which he hadn't really put on tape uh, earlier in his career. In the red zone, they asked him to do a whole lot of different things, right? Even just lining up as like a wildcat, moving out and, and running some of that, you know, you know, what was it? The Statue of Liberty play or when that, remember that one play where they had him like, it was a crazy play. It didn't really work, but they had like the pitch to the running back. They pitched it back to Jones. They were both behind the line of scrimmage so he could still throw. He was rolling to his right and then he had the throw option. You remember that play? It didn't work in the red zone. It was like one of my favorite plays that didn't work and they never came back to it. I kind of hope they did. But they asked him to do a lot of different things in the red zone as well. And then obviously, as Dave will mention, like they asked him to do, he did everything they asked. To me, that says like we asked a certain amount year one based on the offensive line and receiver town we have. We believe that once we ask him to do more and we get better receivers and offensive line, he will do what we asked. And so I thought that was really interesting as well. Which kind of is a is a great starting point to what we've been talking about this entire season with Daniel Jones. Because there are times where we're watching the film and you can go back to the YouTubes, you can see it. Where we're like, oh man, I wonder if he 
notice this, or he could have done that, but it's like, is he being coached to do that? Or is he being coached? If it's man coverage, that B gap comes over, take it, you know, if you don't love what you're seeing. So I think that's an excellent place to kind of start. But I also found it interesting too, Dan, when they asked Daniel Jones, or I mean, Joe Shane about Daniel Jones's uh, contract, how close they were during the bye week. Because remember, the Giants were kind of negotiating supposedly reportedly with Julian Love, with Daniel Jones, with Saquon Barkley during the bye week. And I was a little surprised Joe Shane said this. He he alluded to, and he might have actually flat out said that they weren't that close. And I was like, oh, crap. So I wonder what that means necessarily going forward, especially after the Giants end up making the playoffs and winning a playoff game, which definitely is a check mark in the favor for Daniel Jones and a longer term contract. So I really think this is going to get interesting in the coming weeks. Yeah, and I think you made a great point there because it speaks to just the difference of what it means negotiating a quarterback and a running back. It's just such a different negotiation. And the NFL has come way around to this, I think, in recent years. Like, that, they got close maybe with Barkley, you would think, or they at least got to a point where they can make an offer. And we'll get to that in a second because there is a report on that that we want to discuss. But with Jones, it wasn't doesn't sound like they got close. It's hard to get close with quarterback because I know for a fact this agent is going to push for as much money as he can get for Daniel Jones. Why wouldn't he? It's quite literally his job. He doesn't give a crap about how the Giants' salary cap situation looks. He wants a contract that if Jones signs and Jones does take another step next year, for example, right? Like, Or let's say the Giants do find him a wide receiver one and they improve the O-line and he takes a big jump in the second year of that contract if it's not next year. The agent wants to look back at that contract and be like, I got you a good deal, dude. He doesn't want to look back at that country and be like, damn, we kind of agreed to what you were, not what you could become. And now this contract looks horrible and you're vastly underpaid. That's how you get fired as an agent, or that's how you at least kind of do your client wrong. And so it's different than with Barkley where it's kind of capped, right? Like no one's going to give Barkley a contract of like 21 million a year, 20 million a year, like two, three more million than McCaffrey got on that record setting deal a couple of years ago with the idea of, well, Barkley could still become a better player down the line. No offense to Barkley, the best of Barkley is likely behind him. I hate to say it, man, but when he had that record-setting 2018 season, Nick, the biggest factor in that record-setting season was that he nearly broke Chris Johnson's record for 40-plus plays in a season. He almost, I think he did tie Barry Sanders that year, but don't double-check double, double me on that. He either tied Sanders and came one away from Johnson or tied Johnson came one away from Barry Sanders as far as single-season 40-yard rushes. He didn't have many of those this year. And to me, the speed is not what it was. It won't ever get back to that. Saquon Barkley is a running back who doesn't rely on his athleticism, but it is his best trait. And breakaway speed was his best trait in his breakout 2018 season. That was what it was. It was breakaway runs. He had the best breakaway percentage in the NFL, according to Pro Football Focus, by a wide margin. That's not coming back. That's not getting better. A quarterback could get better with age as they improve their mental processing and as they get better within a system. It's not really the same for running backs. So I feel like those negotiations are just totally different. Yeah. Saquon Barkley had a 68 yard rush against Tennessee. We all remember I that know. well. Yep. And then he had a 40 yard rush in Green Bay. And those were his only rushes that were over 40 yards. He had a 39 yard rush in the divisional round. And then I think he had one catch that was over 40 yards. And I think you're right, man. That 39 yard rush, I wasn't, I didn't want to definitively say, oh, yeah, he's gone in his rookie season after seeing, but after watching the tape, I think you're right. I think he more than likely would have housed that back in 2018. And then several injuries later, man, you know, wear and tear of the NFL on your body. And that's a position where you're going to decline athletically as you age, as you brought up so many times. So now with Saquon Barkley, that's going to be interesting. And we'll get into that report by Ralph Occhiano a little later, but I think we should probably stay on this Joe Shane press conference. One thing he did say though, too, man, Joe Shane, 
And this comes as no surprise. They're building a team, right? They're building a culture here. And they want to ideally re-sign the talent that they have in-house rather than allocating a lot of it to free agency. Now, that does not mean that they're not going to spend in free agency. I'm sure Joe Shane and Brian Dable know so many players from Buffalo, from their time in scouting, from their time in college. They know the character. They know the work ethic. They know all of those things. There is a comfortability in re-signing talent that you know is going to show up every day at work, set the example to be emulated by their teammates. And when you look at this roster, there's a lot of interesting names, man. There's a ton of interesting names beyond just Saquon Barkley and Daniel Jones, the Julian Loves of the world, the Nick Gates of the world, and even like smaller level guys like Sterling Shepherds of the world, which Joe, Joe Shane said was one of his favorite giants, which was, which was a fun little quote too. I'm curious to see how they approach free agency now that they're not as hamstrung as they were last year. They're looking at having north of $50 million in cap space. Yeah, and I think you're right. There's going to be a combination. Like even last season, offseason when they had basically no functional cap space, thanks to Gettleman, they still signed someone in free agency, Mark Lewinsky, and they took a little bit of a leap of faith there because it wasn't a former Bills player, right? It wasn't somebody who they really had a good beat on, like an Isaiah Hodgins type who they claimed. They had to kind of take a leap of faith there, and they will continue to do that at times, but it won't be the core, right? There won't be the Dave Gettleman class with Nate Solder and trading for Alec Ogletree and immediately re-signing uh, re him to a huge extension. There won't be any of those, like, big splashes, the Bradbury. This offseason, we had, like, Bradbury, Blake, all of that. I doubt we'll see that really at any point in the Joe Sheen uh, tenure, and I might be wrong about that, but I will stand by that. If I had to predict something right now, it would be that we don't see that throughout his tenure, and he made some really great points when you think of it in my opinion, from just like an overall standpoint, like game theory on this thing, right? Like thinking about this philosophically rather than so like this player, that player, that. So for example, I'll, I'll explain what I mean. He said, the good thing about extending in-house is that you can eliminate some of the margin for error. Because when you're extending in-house, you're extending known commodities. You know their work ethic. You know how they train. You know their injury history. You know who they are. That to me stands out because that's a great point. Like it, and and he, and he said it. They asked him again, "What will be your aggression on the free agent market?" He said, "It's kind of based on our own free agents first. We've got good guys who we know uh, that we know about that are UFAs." He said, "Again, they're known commodities. We know them intimately. To me, the known commodities are the priority first. We will only look outside the building to supplement the roster." And that is really great music to my ears, Nick, because that's how the best teams do it. That's exactly how the best teams do it. And even look at this draft. I mean, they talked about the rookie class and Joe Shane kind of went on about how they had a couple tough breaks with the injuries, a little bit more than a couple. I think he mentioned something that we brought up on the show before. The only player that wasn't injured this season from that rookie class was Micah McFadden. But if you look at all of those players, and it's going to be really fun to go into this draft process, knowing somewhat of the philosophy that Joe Shane executes. He's looking for team captains. He's looking for players with high moral character. We talk a lot about George Pickens, right? And I'm not going to throw George, say, say anything negative about George Pickens because I don't know the man personally, but we've heard a lot of stories about his, uh, I don't know, pugnacious attitude maybe is a way to <laughs> phrase it. Like he's, sound like he's kind of on edge. with that word. I love it. Thank you. He's, he's a little bit on edge sometimes. And I don't think Joe Shane is going to look to to add those types of players, even though they're very talented to this locker room. I think it's clear, and I think it was clear even before this press conference, but it was stressed, I think, like three times in this press conference. They're looking for smart, tough, dependable, which we know, but they're also looking for the right culture fit. We talked about that kind of stuff with the Joe Judge era. I think it was bullcrap, right? I think it was bullcrap. Mm -hmm. I might have been off with that. I thought maybe initially that's what after the first draft in 2020 with Joe Judge, it made a little bit of sense. But after the Giants went and they traded back and they selected Kadarius Tony, I was like, this guy has a little bit of a checkered past, but okay, they must have really vetted him and he must really fit in well. 
didn't appear that way, right? And I think Joe Shane and Brian Dable recognized that when they first arrived here. They spoke highly of Kadarius Tony. Next thing you know, the guy's out of town. They traded him for a third and a six or whatever the hell it was from Kansas City. So I really think they're going to put a high precedent on getting those, those high character individuals into this building. And that's cool with me, man. That's cool with me because they're building a team. And that's something else that they said. We're, we're building an entire team. It's, you're never one player away from winning a championship in the NFL, I think was one quote from Joe Shane that stuck out. Yeah, that was a great quote. And I think I'm okay with it too, because it doesn't mean they're going to sacrifice talent. It just means that they're going to make sure the baseline a smart, yeah. tough, dependable is there before going any further. And Joe Shane talked about that being a big factor. They asked him like, how were you guys able to turn this thing around? Like someone brought up, they were like 15 and 49. I don't even know the number. It was so bad. In it was the five 22 years. and 59, 22, 22 and 59. 59 in the five years. That's incredible that we had to go through that as fans. It just sucks. Like it, it was hard. It was difficult. I'm happy it's over. But, and then they were able to win nine games this year, make the playoffs, win a playoff game. He's like, you know, what, how does that even happen? And Joe Shane, one of the things he said is, I believe a big part of it was the culture here and the, 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 slew of smart tough dependable players who kind of bought into this fast as a culture something i don't think darius tony did to be completely honest and then played with that mentality the entire time and banded around each other and think about it too listen to like leonard williams on his on his press conference at the end of the game when he's getting when he's talking to the media he's like this is the first time in my career i'm upset that the season is yes. ending that's what he said that goes back to his time with the new york jets and he's like look the camaraderie we have in this building right now is insane people want to come here and i know there have been a lot of individuals who have made this point before but i think it's real i think so many free agents around the nfl are going to look at the new york giants now as being like that could be an option man i, I kind of want to go and play in that locker room you know i'm good boys with leonard williams he says this and that obviously money speaks the loudest but I still think the reputation of your team is very important. I think a lot of players around the NFL are starting to find out that the New York Giants, it's a place that you want to play for. I don't think it was like that over the last several regimes. That's a great point, too, because that will, I mean, they're obviously, like we said, they're going to only look to the free agency to supplement their, their yes. roster, but there are, you need to find supplements, right? You need to find these players who are willing to take a chance on the Giants just as much as the Giants are willing to take a chance on them when they have other offers or similar deals that are not, you know, I'm talking about the non-top of the market type free agents. So I thought that was very important as well. I'm wondering if Tremaine Edmonds is one guy that really interests me in terms of big money free agents. He's looking to get a big deal. He's a linebacker, 24 years old right now, done with his rookie deal after having his fifth year option picked up because he was drafted at 19 from Buffalo. So Joe Shane knows him well. He was involved in drafting him back in 2018. They picked him the same exact season that they picked Josh Allen. So he knows him very well, but I'm really interested to see if the Giants pursue that as well, because dude, we've talked a lot about the linebacker position. And if you watch that Eagles film, and we'll get into that on another podcast, the Eagles 100% knew that the Giants had such a deficiency at the linebacker position. It's so exploitable. Like your defense is never going to be complete if you don't find some actual NFL starters. And that's one way to quickly get that instead of maybe drafting a rookie and waiting for him to develop. And Joe Shane and Brian Dable know that kid's character. They know that kid's work ethic. And if all those things check out, that's one interesting free agent name to monitor over this next month. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, I was disappointed no one asked them about the run defense this year, specifically about their inability at any point to stop power gap runs, despite obviously knowing it was coming. But I mean, I never expect too many great questions, to be honest, from these pressers. There were a couple good ones, but really some of these are like recycle, same questions. It really sometimes disappoints me when they don't lead to any good answers because they got 30, they give 30 minutes out there. And I just felt like there was a lot left on the bone as far as what we want to know about this team now and moving forward. But as far as that goes, like, 
we know we me and you know that they're not going to go into this next season with those linebackers right like it's you just impossible it's impossible you just can't they're not like poor Gerard Davis right like but like he literally was cut by the Detroit Lions and the Giants are like okay you could start in Minnesota Michael McFadden we don't have enough faith in you to even play where well, you're actually going to be a scratch to Michael McFadden right. even though you've been playing Tay Crowder you're gone like it's such a glaring weakness and Wink Martindale needs those front seven players those guys who can actually fit the run to have a successful defense right now he's I'm surprised the defense which wasn't really that great this season, but I'm still surprised the defense was able to play to the level that they were able to play to with those linebackers and with the recycling of, of I don't even talent, I guess if you want to call it that, recycling of players at that position, man. It was uh, it was ugly, bro. And the Eagles exploited it like crazy through passing, through running, every single way the Eagles exploited them. And it was like, they're just not going to change. Because one thing I'll say about Nick Sirianni, as, as annoying as that guy looks, when they find a vulnerability, they're just going to attack, attack, attack. Similar to Mike Kafka, but the Giants just didn't have the personnel to to even compete with them at the second level. Correct. And that was something that I thought was also interesting about Joe Shane's presser. When he when they asked him about the talent, like what happened with the Eagles game, everything like that, let's not turn the page so quickly. He was like, yeah, I'll be honest. There is a talent gap there. And that's something we're going to look to close. And he made something clear that we've gone over in the past, Nick. And I know you've been very strong on it. And, and I think you're right because every literally everyone I've ever heard who speak about the Giants say it is that we need to first win these division games because that's the easiest way to get to get your franchise moving forward. And he's like, we were one, five and one in the division. We can't, you know, we can't have that happen next year. We're not going to face the AFC South every year, right? That, Giants were four and zero against the AFC South last year. The AFC South is the worst division in football, in my opinion, by far, maybe the NFC South is coming up on it, especially with Tom Brady retiring. And, and I, I, it's probably fair to say they were actually the worst division in football, the NFC South, but they're not going to face the AFC South every year. And they're going to have to start winning these division games. And I loved how he said there is a talent gap between the Giants and the Eagles right now. It was just so refreshing for me to hear a general manager understand the process here, understand where they're at as a roster, and not speak with so much arrogance like Dave Gettleman spoke with and so much delusion like Dave Gettleman spoke with about where the roster was at, both when he first took over in 2018 and tried that weird, that weird, let's go for it all with Eli Manning still. And then even at the end in his final season, when he, when he, you know, dumped everything on the cap and put us in this horrific cap position that we were in. Again, 53.7 dead cap. Joe Shane had to work with this year, 25% of his cap. When you include the Galladay contract who didn't play, like he did it again. And it just, it was delusional. It led to horrible moves like the Sam Beal pick and others. And this GM is just not about that. He understands that they're not one piece away and they have, a, they have this is a process to rebuilding this roster. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? 
You need Indeed. Ready to win money and boost your odds? WinBet is now live in Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, and Virginia. We're bringing the excitement of Win Las Vegas to online sports betting and casino play. Exclusive rewards are right at your fingertips with Win Rewards on WinBet. Get in on all your favorite teams, players, and sports from the NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL, golf, MMA, WNBA, college football, and more. Great promos, odds, and payouts are happening right now at WinBet. From boosted same-game parlays to live in-game odds on every major sports, WinBet has what you need to win. Ready to play? Sign up today to receive a special offer. Bet $100, win $100. Download Bet Win. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. Be on the lookout for the WinBet Win Hour each Thursday from 5 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time. During WinBet Win Hour, marquee games of the week will have better odds on WinBet, giving you a larger payout opportunity. Offer subject to change. Terms and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in the state where play through WinBet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, please call 1-800-522-4700. I was running low on some groceries, so naturally, I went to a store that sells said groceries to look for my refreshments. There I was in the beverage aisle, and I saw these tall boys of what I originally thought was beer, but it was actually in the bottled water section, and it was mountain spring water from the Alps, and it was called Liquid Death. And I thought to myself, do I want to try this beverage that is named Liquid Death because I hear it brutally murders your thirst, and their recyclable tall boy cans are helping to bring death to plastic bottles. And they also donate 10% of their profits from every can sold to help kill plastic pollution. Those are some pretty cool causes. So I bought myself some liquid death, and I enjoyed it. I was parched, and then I drank it, so I was not. So if you want to try some of this liquid death, go get liquid death at your local Whole Foods Market, Target, and Stop and Shop stores, or find a liquid death retailer near you with their store locator tool at liquiddeath.com slash bigblue. That's liquiddeath.com slash bigblue. He's process-oriented. You just stole the words right from my mouth. Yes. He's very much process-oriented. And he even spoke about it, I think, a little bit during the press conference, how he didn't go out and, and add any wide receiver talent because that was kind of what everyone was talking about around the bye week. He signed Isaiah Hodgins, but people wanted him to trade for DJ Moore, for Chase Claypool, and a lot of these wide receivers. But he was like, we liked the position where we were at with the draft picks that we had at the time moving forward. So that was, we felt, the best course of action. And that's what you want, right? And it's not even just like Joe Shane up there, like, I think it's the best. This is a collective decision. I think Brian Dable is heavily involved in this as well. And I just think that is the path, the best path to success. Get multiple smart sets of minds to one common goal and then come to a collective decision to execute. And I really think that is what Joe Shane is doing here. And I don't know if that was the case with Dave Gettleman or even prior general managers in the past, recent past for the New York Giants. 
Yeah, I completely agree. That's the that's what we've been preaching for a while there. Don't always just focus on the results. Understand that the process is more important than the results in all ways of life, really. Like when he's he said, I don't believe in the whole idea of you're only one player away. And they said that in relation relation to the wide receiver one discussion, but it, it's true in every way. I mean, you, you have to let it come to you every great general manager. And this is again, not to bring up a poker reference, but I will a poker analogy. This is true of poker players as well. All the great ones display the ability to wait for their spot. The spot will come, but you have to wait for it. You can't force the action. You can't force your spots. And that's something he did. He recognized the value of not using, you know, free agency for their core or desperation trades for Jerry Judy or Clay Chase Claypool at the deadline. And those are the type of things that I love to hear. And he even said something interesting, I thought, in general, Nick, about the wide receiver one position or the idea of a wide receiver one. He said a number one wide receiver doesn't guarantee you anything. He said there are plenty of number one wide receivers right now who are sitting at home and not in the playoffs. Tyreek Hill, right? Think of all the wide receiver ones not in the playoffs right now. C.D. Lamb. A lot of Justin players Jefferson. have already been. Justin Jefferson. He even he said, you know, I think he gave a little. There are a lot of wide receiver ones. That's not the guarantee. The wide receiver one. And this is a whole nother debate. I had this with my friends yesterday watching the, the football games and, and shout out Scott Yanofsky. He wanted us to bring it up on the podcast. It's not going to be this pod, Scott, but it will be another. He said, who would you, he said, who's the best left tackle in the NFL right now? And I said, Trent Williams. And he said, who would you rather have Trent Williams or Justin Jefferson? And then the question went from, for one game to for, for the future. And I did agree with him. I think I would rather have Justin Jefferson for one game from a schematic standpoint. Long-term, I'd still rather the tackle, the left tackle. But it was an interesting point about just kind of wide receiver one. And it all started with the debate of Kelsey versus Kittle because I'm on team Kittle. And I, people found they, they found that crazy that I would say that. But I'm looking for two-way tight ends. I, I just think his value as a blocker is so underrated. But I understand Kelsey's amazing too. But it was refreshing for me to hear Shane say, you know what? I am not just listening to Giants Twitter about this wide receiver one desperation. I'm going to let this thing come to me. And you know what? There are a lot of wide receiver ones sitting home right now in the playoffs. There are tons of wide receiver ones sitting home in the playoffs. And I want to pivot a little bit to the defensive side of the football, Dan, and Xavier McKinney, team captain. We all know what happened. Cabo broke his hand. I found it was really, I found this is another another instance where Joe Shane shows like, hey, this isn't always about football. We're not cutthroat here, which was kind of a reputation that Dave Gettleman had among players. They were like, oh, I think the question, did you lose respect for Xavier McKinney? Kind of like that, right? That wasn't the exact words used. And he was like, no, like we love Xavier McKinney. He made a mistake. He's young. You know, he's maturing. But we really were concerned with his health more so than just the football side right. of thing. So they were really just like kind of saying like, yeah, Xavier McKinney, I think he's going to be here long term. I think he's a big part of what this defense is going to be, whether it be with Martindale or another defensive coordinator. But you just saw how Joe Shane kind of deflected blame from Xavier McKinney and just said, look, we were concerned with him as a human being rather than what that's going to do to our football team. OK, and I just think that's another instance where people are going to look at the New York Giants and be like, that's somebody I can play for. True. Again, money always money always speaks, but still, you want to have a good reputation around the league, and I think Joe Shane and Brian Dable definitely cultivated that in year one. That's a great point, too, and you even saw it in their actions, too, right? Xavier McKinney wore the captain the rest of the – he didn't lose his captaincy, and then he broke down the team before that playoff game. He even had that moment on the sideline against the Eagles where he's like, get the cameras away. I need to talk to my defense. Obviously, it didn't, things didn't turn around. I don't blame that on him. I personally don't blame that on the coaching. If you want to question any coach in that game, maybe you look to the offense side of the ball and say, maybe they could have just came out and run like a, a shit ton of zone read with Jones and Barkley and just tried to milk the clock and, and pray for pray to keep 
the Eagles off the field on, on offense, but I just don't think that Wink Martindale could have done anything, anything differently personally. I just think that there's no talent there to stop the run at all. There wasn't in that game. No depth, no talent. Again, I, I think there's a big difference having a Julian Love versus a prime Landon Collins or Jabril Peppers uh, come shooting down and filling and filling, you know, not only filling gaps, but playing the alley. It's just, it's a very different defense from a talent standpoint, but like you said, or like you mentioned with McKinney, they didn't give up on him. They still believe he's a leader. Like he made a mistake. Like I know a lot of Giants fan crushed him for that because he's a captain. But dude, we all make mistakes in life. I make plenty of them. Like it's life. <laughs> it's like you know what I mean. These are still kids. How old is Xavier McKinney? Like I was an idiot back then. My brain, your brain doesn't even. You don't even become a mature human being. I don't think until you really reach like your late twenties. <laughs> some people earlier, some people later than that. But I mean, I can't kill a kid for making a mistake. It's a mistake. Yeah, just don't let it happen again, essentially. And I'm right. pretty sure Xavier Learn McKinney. Yeah, I remember Nick Saban used to just rave about Xavier McKinney as a football character and as a football mind. And we talked about it before the draft, before we even knew he was going to be a New York Giant. We're like, dude, this kid is so smart. He's so versatile. So I'm happy he's a Giant. I'm happy he's a captain. And let's just hope that he learns from that mistake and Giants can move forward and that his hand isn't affected long term. Yeah. A couple other things I want to talk about with this presser. I want to talk about Shane's comments on the rookie class. But before we get to that, I want to talk about his him giving credit to his entire staff for the waiver claims they made this year. And they really made some great waiver claims. Obviously, Isaiah Hodgins stands out, but they did some other things. Landon Collins, even Jalen Smith, who I don't like. They still kind of needed him out there. Obviously, McLeod, some of the corners, Fabian Moreau. And he gave credit to his staff for that. Not He didn't just take the credit on himself, which I thought was really interesting. I also thought he... I really liked how he said we could have helped the roster more, but we didn't have the cap flexibility to do that. And he, and that really stood out to me, you know, players like Linville Joseph and on the defensive line depth, they could have signed this season. If Dave Gettleman didn't screw them is really what stands out the most to me. And I'm happy he said that because fans need to know that he did. It's not like he's just sitting on his ass and not adding talent. He literally had nothing to work with from a financial standpoint, did his best. He wouldn't have even been in the position where he could even sign an Isaiah Hodgins, by the way, unless they had restructured Leonard Williams, which they didn't want want to do but they had to and restructure to dory jackson which they didn't want to do but they had there were no other contracts to restructure that's what dave left them so i was happy you brought that up because it's very important to note like what position he was in going into the season it's part of the reason why this giant season was so successful you think the giants wanted to have henry mondu Ryder anderson and justin ellis, ellis. being recycling as the, the three defensive linemen yeah. behind the top two dogs of course not they couldn't do anything. And Justin Ellis, look, he's a veteran. He's been in the league for a while. Respect him for that. But there's no reason for him to be playing as many snaps as he did this year for the Giants. Like that Jason Kelsey play, everyone's like, wow, look at that. We watch a lot of Giants tape. It's not the only center who has done that to Justin. <laughs> he's done that to Ellis. I know. Ellis has definitely been a problem. Ellis needs to retire. No offense to him. I, fe I feel bad to say it out loud, but it sucks as someone who's sitting here from my couch. But like, it, he looked horrible on film all year. He couldn't handle like double teams would murder any of those three. Double teams uprooted every yeah, single no. one of them, which is it's wild because you watch, and we'll get into this one player here in a second because I wanted to get your opinion on, on something. Mm -hmm. But you watch Dexter Lawrence and Leonard Williams handle double teams and how they split double teams and the leverage they play with and how they use their length and how they keep their chest clean. It's wild, bro. And then you go and you see Mondu, Ryder Anderson, and Justin Ellis. And anytime a double team hit them, it was they were blown like five yards off the ball. I was like, oh my God, dude. It just kind of goes to show you the talent discrepancy between top guys like Leonard Williams and Dexter Lawrence and then players like that. But speaking on Dexter Lawrence, I felt like one of the uh, funniest parts of 
of the press conference was when Joe Shane was asked if Dexter Lawrence earned a second contract. And Joe Shane literally, like, I think he had to like process, be like, I need to shut the hell up, right? Because like he like he like raised his eyebrows because he didn't hear the question at first. Like, who? Such a know, like Dexter Lawrence. He like raised his eyebrows, was like, huh. And then he started laughing. And then he was like, wait, I can't like sit here and just praise Dexter Lawrence. I gotta be like, oh, there's a lot of guys on the team we want to bring yeah. <laughs> yeah. like I think it was a double. Way. It was a double. Like he not only did he process that really quick in his mind, like I can't do that for the leverage standpoint. He also processed his mind like I really shouldn't just be laughing out loud at this dude for such a horrific question. Like I gotta, I gotta understand like this is, you know, it's not everybody is really in tune with what's going on with this team and what needs to be asked. Let's just, let's laugh that one off. Like what kind of question is that? It was so horrible to Dexter Lawrence. Like, okay. Yeah. Yes. The answer is yes. It's obvious with anyone with two eyes or anyone who reads anything about this team or follows anything of that team. Why even ask that? Why waste the time? Like you only have 30 minutes. Like, Yikes, no offense to that person. I know it's hard to do this job, and sometimes you have like bad moments, or I don't even call it a bad moment. You I don't know why you asked the question. So you might have your own reasons <laughs> trying to be nice here about the situation. But um, yeah, back to the actual presser here. I thought another thing that he mentioned that was interesting. I do again, I did reference it. I want to get to his thoughts on the rookie class. So I thought there were interesting stuff there. But I want to mention his comment that he made about how important it was to him to get the young players. And I believe he's speaking about the Giants core players. Now we know that's Daniel. We think very likely that's Daniel Jones based on his comments today. Obviously, Dexter Lawrence, he made that clear. Andrew Toms, we know who the core are um, outside of the potential guys that we're not sure of. Saquon Barkley, that one remains up in the air. Julian Love, I think, remains up in the air, among other players, Darius Lee. But as far as the core guy goes, I love how he talked about the importance to him of getting those young core players playoff experience. We talked about that a bunch earlier this season, how important it was for us to get to the playoffs because we, for me, it was I want to see Daniel Jones in the playoffs. That to me was more important than anything, but it's important to see them all. And, it, and you know, I thought that it was one of the best things that happened this year in this season. The fact that they got to play two playoff games and we got a decent sample size of what they look like in two playoff games. It was important to me and I like how it was important to Joe. It was definitely important to Joe. And I think Brian Dable was asked before the Minnesota game about that. And he was like, it's just a game, you know, just being like yeah. Brian Dable, coach, they're not saying anything. But I was like, it's a playoff game. Like, I think everybody knows there's a little bit more gravity to the situation. But I love how he brought up Cordell Flott's play against Minnesota. He brought up Josh Azudu and how he got injured and how that was unfortunate, but how he played valuable reps before getting injured. And that's somebody we don't really talk about too much. Like, I think Josh Azudu if the injury isn't serious and if he develops, that guy can be a starter. And I, I'm really excited about his overall movement skills and the future that he can have here in New York at whichever guard position he ends up ultimately settling at. And then he even brought up Darian Beavers. He brought up Marcus McKethan, who got hurt during the blue and white scrimmage back in training camp. I think that the draft class as a whole is going to be a hit. They just need to get healthy and get back out there. Like Darian Beavers, he was like, yeah, he was training to be the starting Mike. Like he was in competition for that. And let's be honest, more than likely if Darian Beavers doesn't get hurt against Cincinnati, he's the starting middle linebacker probably early on in the season. Like Austin Kalitra was playing snaps in week three for the Giants before they were like, all right, you can't do this because he, <laughs> like Tyron Smith just absolutely owned him. So I think the future is bright with this first draft class. We just need them to get healthy. And Wando Robinson is that, that I guess, because wide receiver position is, is such a position that a lot of people are focusing on. He's not that traditional one. I don't think he ever will be that traditional one, but I think he would have been a very valuable piece to what the Giants would have done. Like think about the Richie James role, only much more talented and much more reliable. So I'm excited about this class. Yeah, I'm excited about it too. We can discuss one by one because he had three, there were three players I thought that he really 
spent the most time on or said the most notable things on. And you touched on all of it there, but let's talk about them a little bit more. I'll start with Cordell Flott, who you mentioned the great play he made against Minnesota, but then also talked about traits-wise, how he's so ex- yeah. uh, excited about his long-term upside. I, I stand there with Joe. I mean, obviously, I've been high on him since the very start, and I know you have as well. But I'm very excited about what he could potentially be for this defense. I don't know exactly what he'll eventually be, like a slot guy or the outside corner because i think that honestly this cornerback position is incredibly unsettled and open-ended moving into the future like even adoree jackson who i like a lot i don't know for sure if he'll be part of the future given the contract given the injury history given him getting up in age so there still are basically in my mind like three open spots at that cornerback position not open but open-ended cornerback one cornerback two the out boundary guys and then the slot guys so i'm curious to see where that goes do you think do you have an early lean on how they'll kind of move with him going forward or you think they'll kind of let it play out i think they'll let it play out and i think that's yeah. just the brian dable way but at the same time like i think it's best if he is an outside guy right unless he can do the slot like if the giants aren't sure about the future of aaron robinson and the big to do this offseason was, hey, let's put Aaron Robinson on the boundary because Flott wasn't really ready at the time. And we'll see how he does, even though he's more of an inside guy. Well, I think Aaron Robinson should be reverted back to the inside if Cordell Flock can handle the responsibility on the boundary. But I also don't think it needs to be necessarily a set thing. I think it should be True. day by day, see how they handle themselves in training camp, take to the defense. Hopefully Wink Martindale is back, which was another thing that was brought up during this press conference from Brian Dable and how he's been kind of grooming a lot of coaches to to assume a role on his staff if Kafka and Wink Martindale end up leaving. And I'm wondering who those specific individuals are. But regardless, man, Cordell Flott, wherever he plays, I think he's going to grow into a starter on that defense. And I think he'll be an impact player because he was 20 years old, like 168 pounds, it seemed like. He had that Levi Wallace thing going on when he was drafted. And he stepped up and made a couple really good plays. And I also just thought he moved well, right? Watching the tape. He moved well. And once you have that foundational trait where you can develop discipline, which I already feel like he has, and you start to learn technique and you start to really trust yourself, I think you really grow into an impactful player. Very, very well said, Nick. And yeah, that's a good way to look at prospects in general that are with the Giants moving forward. And you want to see what you just described rather than the opposite way of that, because you can always prove your technique you can't improve your movement skills that's just something you either have or you don't have and Cordell Flott does have that and he also has the mentality too which we knew dating back to his time at LSU and I think it was proven on that third and eight. It's like dude you didn't play the entire game go out there I know it's third and eight you got to cover KJ Osborne who's a solid slot receiver on a horizontal cross and he was able to stay in phase and then play through the catch point with aggressiveness with the chip on his shoulder so I remain high on him and then moving to Darren Beavers, I thought it was interesting to hear him bring up the idea that he was getting first team reps at the Mike position before the injury. That's something we kind of heard from the beat reporters covering it, but it wasn't really ever um, cons- it wasn't ever confirmed by any of the Giants coaches or anyone you know involved in the Giants until now when Joe Shane confirmed that. And that says a lot to me because maybe that's something and I don't want to go all in on him and count on him fully to be their mic next year but certainly someone who we have who can have some hope and expectation to at least compete next offseason once he gets healthy from that acl tear and potentially be a player who can start at that position you got to think back when darian Beavers was on the roster we still kind of thought blake martinez was going to be the starting right. mic because blake martinez wasn't cut until i think like the beginning of september and 
Darren Beavers towards ACL before that. So we were expecting Martinez to be there, but I think the Giants knew all along that Martinez more than likely wasn't going to be there and they needed somebody to play Mike. And I think Beavers was outdoing Micah McFadden in training camp. So it's just unfortunate, man. I'm really hoping that the Giants can get something out of him because he's also a really versatile player. Do remember, this is somebody who played edge at UConn before transferring over to Cincinnati and playing linebacker. He's very big. He's very physical. So I really think he can add a different element to Wink Martindale's defense. Yeah, I'm excited to get him back. Hopefully that recovery goes smoothly. And the last person I wanted to talk about from the rookie class that he talked about was Wandell Robinson. And I think he even mentioned specifically about his breakout game, which happened the, the week he got injured, which sucks. It was a breakout game for Robinson. He cl- eclipsed the 100-yard mark, which is something, honestly, not many Giants receivers did all year. Uh, Hodgins did it at one point. Very few Giants receivers got 100-plus yards. Robinson was one of them. And he talked about how the thing that I thought was most interesting about what Joe Shane said is that he felt like, and he felt confident enough to even say it, that he would have been a huge factor down the stretch. And it makes sense because down the stretch, the Giants moved to that pass-first approach. And that was going to really favor and highlight what Robinson can do for them as an offense. And so I think Robinson, as long as he can, and I've been reading good stuff, by the way, on it. I think his recovery from and his rehab is going really well. He said it was basically a clean ACL tear. And you know, there are different ACL tears. For example, Saquon Barkley's ACL tear was not a clean ACL tear. There was, I believe, either MCL or meniscus damage that had to be like to the point where they had to wait for the surgery, for the swelling to go down. From what I've heard, the Robinson ACL tear was clean. And so he even said he might be expecting to be back for like week one type of thing. I don't know. You know, it happened decently late into the season. But then again, these days, you just don't know these athletes. Like some of them do recover pretty fast from these ACL tears. And they'll have probably like nine months between uh, of a time frame. I don't exactly remember. I think it was it was the Texans game. I just don't remember when maybe November at that point. I don't I don't really know. But I thought that was interesting, too. Like, I agree. Like, man, just thinking about him, as you mentioned, in that Richie James role, how can that not be an immediate improvement right away? No offense to Richie James, who was solid in that role, but Robinson obviously offers so much more. You offer so much more, and I think, Dan, it's very interesting to me because everyone talks about adding a wide receiver one, and that's something I feel like all the giant, we all want that, right? That's the ideal situation. But if you look at the wide receiver position in general right now, it's very uncertain. A lot of players are free agents. Like mm-hmm. Rich James is a free agent. Darius Slayton is a free agent. Sterling Shepard is a free agent. Colin Johnson has that serious injury. Isaiah Hodgins is an exclusive rights free agent, which essentially means he has less than three years accrued in his contract that's now expired or just in the league, I should say, and his contract has expired. The team can negotiate with him, I think, and other teams can't negotiate him until after the Giants negotiate with him. And I'm sure he probably wants to be back here with the New York Giants, if I'm not mistaken. That's what exclusive rights free agents is. But my point is, who the hell are the wide receivers long-term right now on this roster? Not even long-term, just in 2023. Wondell right. Robinson, who has a torn ACL. Like, like, There's a lot of uncertainty going on with this wide receiver position in general. And I'm sure the Giants might look to bring some of those guys back. But... You know, I, I don't know, man. I think you're going to look to the draft. You have what, uh, 11 picks, I think, in this draft, if I'm not mistaken. Quite a few picks. I think it was settled that the Giants had the 25th overall selection in yeah. this draft. It would have been the 26th, but the Dolphins don't have a first round pick. So I'm just interested. Look, I love that wide receiver one, but I'm just interested in who the hell, if Daniel Jones is back, are the Giants throwing the football to? There's still a lot of unanswered questions right now. Yeah, you're right. That remains way up in the air. And he didn't mention Darius Slayton at all. I don't think that's a knock because he didn't really mention anyone like Slover. He really only talked about Dex, Barkley, and Jones as far as the big free agents go. But it is something to consider because 
it's we all want the wide receiver one, like you said, but more importantly, do you have wide receivers? Like, do you have starting group and more? And after that, do you have backups? Because we know based on this season, based on last season, based on every season, that's one of the positions most important to find depth at that and corner because injuries happen all the time at these skill positions. So you need to have guys behind them too. The Giants had to go way down the line this year on their depth chart, even going back to August when they lost Colin Johnson, who they were expecting to have a big role in this offense at the wide receiver position. So you're right. I'm, I, I honestly may be more concerned with depth right now than that wide receiver one. I'm big on let the wide receiver one come to you, right? Like, if, if for some reason the 49ers are looking ahead or something and they're like, we can't afford all these contracts, let's let's just like start to see if anyone's interested in giving us something like a first-round pick for Ayuk. Sure, I would trade 25th overall for Ayuk like this, but I'm not going to force wide receiver one. I want it to come to me. I want to find the right spot for it. And in between that, as Joe Shane, let's build out the roster with the mindset of it's not just one player that changes everything. It's a collective that changes everything. And that is a great point about wide receiver receiver depth may be a more bigger uh, maybe a bigger concern right now than that wide receiver one and honestly dude if we look at this roster you have a stud defensive tackle stud offensive tackle stud safety who you think you're going to be building around i would say different different level maybe just for for this the safety versus the tackle and versus lawrence and thomas right now yeah of course but my my point is dude like Nothing else is settled right now. now you were mm-hmm. imagining Daniel Jones is going to be back, but nothing. There's nothing else on this roster that is like a set in stone. In three years, this guy is going to be a New York Giant, right? Under the presumption that the Giants sign those three long term, they're really not. You know, after the contract, after the rookie contracts from the 2022 class, right? So it's a, it's wild, man. I mean, it's an interesting spot to be in, and it's great that the Giants just played in the Elite Eight and to the divisional round. But this team is a uh, could look much different in two years. Yeah, good. And that's that's going to be the fun of it, seeing how Shane pieces it together. Let's close out this by talking about the report. This wasn't part of the Joe Shane presser, though it can be mentioned that in the Joe Shane presser, he's like you said it already, he spoke a little bit differently about the Barkley contract negotiation versus the Jones one. Um, but a Ralph Acciano report. And again, Ralph Acciano, SNY's Ralph Acciano. I don't know if he's, I think he's still with SNY. There's only like two Giants beat reporters who when they, and this is no offense to guys I love like Duggan and Art Stapleton, who I think are amazing coverage on the beat. But as far as actual scoops go, I really have only seen over the course of my lifetime following the Giants. Obviously, this is post Mike Garofolo, who was always the scoop guy. He was getting incredible scoops before you went over an NFL network. But in my lifetime, post Garofolo, it really has just been Paul Schwartz and Ralph Acchiano who have really had, a, in my opinion, leaks or, you know, sources that actually leak real information versus fake information. So I do care about what Schwartz and Vacchiano say as far as leaking reports and things of that nature. And the Vacchiano report was the Giants were discussing in season with Barkley around the $12 million AAV, that's average annual value. So $12 million per year contract type uh, uh, negotiations and that was something Barkley didn't accept, obviously. But I think what's most interesting about that is if you look at some of the contracts that were recently signed at running back, Aaron Jones, four years, $48 million. That's $12 million AAV. Joe Mixon, four years, $48 million. That's $12 million AAV. Derrick Henry, four years, $50 million, a little bit over, twelve point five AV. That was also signed when Henry was 26 years old. Saquon Barkley will be 26 years old in two weeks from now. I think it's February 9th. So before next season, he's going to be well into his 26th year. So 26 year old year. So they're looking to kind of, they found the, the where they're looking to negotiate off of, right? It's those three deal. It's not the McCaffrey deal. It's not the Alvin Kamara deal, which was signed at some point, I think 2020. And that's like $15 million AV. And so I think they have their price set on Barkley and maybe they come off, came, 
come off it a little bit and go up to like 13 million or something like that. But it's going to be very interesting to see. It all depends on what he wants. He said this week, he's not looking to reset the market. He's being realistic was the term that he used. Resetting the market would be north of 16 million, which is Christian McCaffrey. So it's somewhere I'm guessing between 12 and 16. And then that begs the question, do the Giants actually allocate that contract to somebody who has had several serious injuries throughout his career, which is also something that Saquon Barkley acknowledged with the media. He was like, I know I was injured a lot. You know, I came back, had this strong season. So to me, I feel like that contract, and I'm not an expert with this stuff, but I feel like that contract is fair from Joe Shane's perspective. 12 million a year, that's Joe Mixon. That, that, is, a, that is a fair contract. And I think the Giants need to be prudent and wise on how you're allocating your money when you're going to have to give really big possible uh, position-setting contracts to guys like Andrew Thomas and Dexter Lawrence. So uh, I'm not really potentially Daniel Jones, right? It sounds like from from my perspective that this this agent is really negotiating hard with Daniel Jones. We might the the final deal might be a lot different than fans think. Fans have thrown out all these numbers, right? I think it could be a lot more than people are expecting. Based, on it could be a lot more, but it's it's not going to be position leading. It's not going to like no, no, Andrew no. Thomas and Dexter Lawrence could be position leading right, type right, of contracts. Right. Whereas Daniel Jones won't be, but you're right. Daniel Jones is still looking to get a solid chunk of change here. So the giants have a real decision with Saquon Barkley. What do you do? But I think Barkley really wants to be a New York giant, right? And maybe, maybe they come off a little bit North of 12, you know, a little bit more than 48 mil, four year, 48 mil, whatever it is. But man, I, I really do find it fascinating. If, uh, if Barkley does end up playing hardball, what, what would the New York Giants do? Because that really changes the direction of your team, having Saquon Barkley and not having him. And we'll have that discussion as far as what Nick and I will do or more in depth later this offseason. Right now, it's just the early, early seeds of that one. There's a lot to discuss. But thank you so much for tuning into the Big Blue Banter podcast. This was us breaking down the Joe Shane Presser and the report from Ralph Facchiano. Keep it locked and loaded. More coming. If you want to help support the show, please make sure if you're watching this on YouTube, you hit that bell button you subscribe you like every video you watch those are the three things we need there on 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 podcast version if you're listening on spotify or itunes set up for auto download make sure you download don't just hit play download is the key there and leave us a rating review if you haven't already more stuff coming this week a mailbag we definitely got to do among a lot of other stuff so keep it locked and loaded and we'll talk to you soon Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.